welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of First Port Property Services Limited and Settlers Court RTM Company. The citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 1. In the first case from 2022, we get an interesting look at the rights that lessees can exercise in relation to property. The facts of this case centre around a block of flats in East London called Settlers Court. The flats are held under long leasehold agreements. In these circumstances, Part 2, Chapter 1 of the Commonhold and Leasehold Reform Act 2002 grants the leaseholders the right to manage the group of properties by way of a single-purpose company that is called a right-to-manage company, or RTM company for short. The problem in this particular situation is that the estate also contains other blocks of flats which all share facilities with Settlers Court. Before the RTM company was formed, all of the facilities were managed by First Port Property Services, who are the appellants in this case. In fact, the lease agreements had a term written into them that allowed First Port to charge the lessees for this property service management. Of course, this created something of a conflict between the RTM company and First Port. On the one hand, First Port could argue that they have a right under the lease to manage the property. On the other hand, the RTM company could argue that it has a right to manage the property under the Commonhold and Leasehold Reform Act 2002. In fact, the RTM company went further than this and argued that the definition of premises meant that they were now responsible for providing estate facilities for the whole estate, not just settlers' court. As a result, First Port were no longer entitled to levy the estate charges, and that money should instead go to the RTM company. In response, First Port argued that it was only they who could continue to provide services for the whole estate, because the right to manage cannot extend beyond settlers' court. The parties tried to reach an agreement but failed to do so, and so First Port applied to the First Tier Tribunal to get a definitive answer. That tribunal found in favour of the RTM company because it considered itself to be bound by the precedent established in Gala Unity Limited and Ariadne from 2012. In that case it was held that the right to manage did extend beyond the original block of flats even if this meant that the RTM company and the pre-existing manager were responsible for simultaneously providing estate services to two different sets of lessees. The upper tribunal also felt that it was bound by this authority, but given the confusion around Gala Unity, it issued a leapfrog certificate for appeal directly to the Supreme Court, and so that is where we pick things up. For the justices, the key word here is premises. After all, the RTM company has the right to perform relevant management functions in respect of the premises, to the exclusion of all others. The problem is that if premises is said to refer to the whole estate, then this creates some real practical difficulties. Think about it this way, if you lived in one of the other flats on the estate, then all of a sudden, and contrary to your lease agreement, your facilities are being managed by some other company who you have no relationship with, and there's not a lot you can do about it. The Commonhold and Leasehold Reform Act 2002 does hint towards a narrower construction of the term premises, and so the RTM company should not have the ability to provide facilities to the entire estate. To further this point, the Supreme Court actually allowed a consultation paper that accompanied the draft bill to be admitted as evidence. 
Unfortunately, when Gali unity was decided, the facts of the case served to obscure the far-reaching consequences of the original decision, in particular how rights and obligations could overlap between an RTM company and a pre-existing manager. If the interpretation of the word premises was any broader, then it would lead to consequences that were both absurd and unworkable. For example, if the RTM company was responsible for services across the whole estate, it would be hampered by the fact that it could only levy about 15% of the costs. That is unsustainable and, in no time at all, the company would be insolvent. On the other side of that same coin, if the existing property manager retained responsibility for estate services under the broader interpretation, then it would no longer be able to levy a charge against the lessees who had exercised the RTM. As such, they would themselves only be able to recover 85% of the costs for providing services to the whole estate. Neither of those outcomes is practical and the broader interpretation as a whole works against the aims of the 2002 Act. In the end, the more narrow interpretation was preferred, and so Firstport remained the only party responsible for providing estate services and the only party able to levy charges in that regard. It was held that Gala Unity had been incorrectly decided and should be overruled. So far as our own analysis of this case goes, I think it is pretty clear that this decision was correct, and I don't want to linger on it for too long. Gali Unity was wrongly decided, not least because the practical effects of that decision were confusing and failed to grasp reality. Instead, I think it is more interesting to talk about some of the broader legal points that this appeal raised. For a start, during this case, the Supreme Court accepted evidence from a consultation paper. This is a bit unusual because, in theory, when the court is interpreting legislation, they should only look at the words in the legislation itself. However, a look at surrounding documents can be helpful in terms of understanding the context and also trying to work out what the intention of the government was when devising the law in the first place. The second legal point is that this was a leapfrog appeal that came directly from the upper tribunal and so this allowed it to skip the usual route via the Court of Appeal. This ability comes via Part 3 of the Criminal Justice and Courts Act 2015, and could be considered risky because it has the potential to overwhelm the Supreme Court with appeals that do not deserve their attention. However, I think that there are enough safeguards in place to ensure that this does not happen. The first condition is that there must be a point of law of general public importance, and that itself is limited to either the construction of an enactment or statutory instrument, or where the upper tribunal is bound by a precedent from an upper court. Furthermore, the decision must relate to a matter of national importance. The result must be so significant that it justifies a hearing by the Supreme Court, and the benefits of an early hearing from the Supreme Court outweigh the benefits of a hearing before the Court of Appeal. All of that is quite a high hurdle to clear, and there is probably some debate about whether it is even cleared in these proceedings. There is certainly a binding precedent from Gala Unity, but is this case of sufficient national importance? I would tend to lean on the side of yes, because it could affect any number of housing estates up and down the country, so a quicker decision from the Supreme Court was probably justified. Even though this is the first leapfrog appeal from the upper tribunal, I hope it's not the last, because in important cases, it can be a good way to get a quicker, final decision. 
Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter, we looked at the Prince Andrew case and also um, questions around domestic violence, thinking about the anniversary of the death of the TV presenter Caroline Flack. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!